Well, good morning. I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6 this morning. Romans chapter 6, if you have a Bible with you. And while we're doing that, uh, yesterday I had the privilege of visiting Stan. And uh, they, I mentioned to them that I was speaking here today. And uh, they said, please be sure to pass on my greetings to Cresswick. And uh, they spoke, uh, Donna spoke uh, on Stan's behalf and just said how much they appreciated being here. And uh, the ministry, we were talking about you a little bit. I said, I've only preached here one time. But I said, uh, what really struck me about being here was, actually, I've been here twice. I've spoken here twice. What struck me both times, most recently, especially, is how much you lean into God's word. And I, I said that to, St- uh, to Stan and Donna, and Stan nodded right away. Uh, and he knew from preaching that you're a church that really leans into God's word, uh, which is so encouraging. So... Uh, They pass on their greetings to you, so I've discharged that duty, and uh, they pass on their love to you today. Now, I'm going to read Romans chapter 6. I invite you to join in with me, and verses 1 to 11. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The question Paul poses to us, I'll explain a bit of the background to that question. And then he answers, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How shall we live? How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then the conclusion he draws, verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is God's holy word. Well, today we have the privilege of seeing some baptisms. I I would have come just for that, honestly, today. If I had known, I just love baptisms. And the question I want to ask you today is, what exactly is going on in baptism? What goes on as Christ takes a hold of a life and grabs that life and changes it? I don't know if, are you hearing, should I switch to the handheld mic? Is that better? No? Okay, we're good. What happens when God grabs hold of a life and changes it? Well, I want to start with a story, a story of a woman who really didn't want anything to do with God. And her conscience would speak to her throughout the day, and she hated it because no matter what she did, God was chasing her. And she writes this, In the morning, my conscience reminded me of God. In the minutes before the clock went to noon, it brought God to mind again. And she says, night was the worst. On my sleep, on the way to sleep, my head lay in my pillow, 
surrounded by the natural darkness of light, of, of, of just the, it was the end of the day, and she says, God was on my mind. How could I, an enemy of God, have sweet dreams knowing that he sat awake through the night? And this woman who wanted nothing to do with God was just overcome with this uh, morning, noon, and, and nighttime, this reality of who God was, and she just couldn't get away from him. And what terrified her was she knew that she really deserved God's judgment. But then she let her mind wander in the other direction and recalled love and how God was in love. He remembered, she remembered Jesus and thought about his hands gesturing sinners to come, waving back and forth continuously without hesitation, every time saying, come, please come. Where else can you go to find life through me? Come, all sinners, come. And although she wanted nothing to do with God, she just felt like, I can't escape God. One time she spoke to her cousin, a Christian, and she was kind of complaining to her cousin saying, I don't know what's going on, but she said this, Keisha, I feel like God is calling me. And her cousin, who was a Christian, just said, okay, why do you think that? And she said, well, because I just don't know, it just feels like it. Like whatever I do, I can sense God trying to get my attention. Like even when I'm being myself, I can feel how wrong it is. Her cousin just said, mm. And then she said, the thing is, I don't want God. I really don't want God. But one night she couldn't fight God anymore. And God got a hold of her life and changed her. And I'm just going to read for word for word what she said. There were no pews nearby. There were no emotive-laden music uh, to woo me from my seat. No preacher howling scriptures through a cord to spike with his left arm gesturing for the sinner to come. Beneath me wasn't an aisle leading to the altar for me to lay aside my sins. All of my many, many sins probably wouldn't have had enough room to, to fit on the common altar anyway. It was only me, my room, and my God. I hadn't moved from my spot on the bed. Something holy was happening here and now. The God who made light to shine in the darkness was now doing this work in me. The work of breaking into and overcoming the blindness I was born embracing. Jesus started making sense. Without asking my permission, a good God had come to my rescue, and everything changed. Her name is Jackie Hill Perry, and she's written an amazing book about what happened. When God gets a hold of your life, everything changes. When God gets a hold of your life, it doesn't matter how hard you're running, it doesn't matter what you're doing, everything changes. This morning, I want to look at Romans 6 with you just to look at what uh, Jackie Hill Perry told in a story. We're going to see in Romans chapter 6 as a theological truth. And then I want to wrap up by moving from story to theological truth to actually a picture of this. And so Romans 6 begins with this question. When God gets a hold of you, what exactly happens in your life? I wish we had time to go back to chapter 5 because... Uh, you know, but the problem with chapter five is I'd, ha I'd get into chapter five and say, I you know, we really need to go back to chapter one to get the flow of this. So, man, I just wish I had the time to walk through Paul's argument. I mean, Romans chapter one and two and three, he makes the case that all of us are guilty before God. 
I love how he does it, by the way, because in Romans 1, he begins to make an argument, and I can see a lot of people in the church going, go get him, Paul. You tell everyone how sinful they are. And Paul switches, and he says, you guys that think the world out there is sinful, let's now talk about your sin, because you are equally as guilty before God. And then Romans 3, we get this amazing uh, message of what God has done through Jesus Christ to deal with our sins. And Romans 4 begins to paint the, the picture of how we obtain the salvation, which is through faith, not by works, simply by faith. And chapter 5, uh, Paul makes this argument that in Adam all sinned, just like in Christ all are made alive. In the end of chapter 5, he just says this amazing truth, and I love this truth, I can't get enough of this truth, where sin is present, grace is even more present. And he just, this amazing truth of like, if you want more sin in your life, if you want more grace in your life, well, the good news is those of you that have a lot of sin in your life are recipients of even more grace because God's grace always overwhelms sin. And then in chapter six, that leads him to this question of somebody saying, oh good, I see the equation, right? More sin equals more grace. I have an idea. What about if I just sin a lot so that I can get more of God's grace? I once heard somebody say this, I love to sin, God loves to forgive. What an amazing combination. <laughs> we can work together, this is great. And so Paul asked this question, basically saying, is that the way Christianity works? When God gets a hold of your life, is that what it actually looks like? We sin. God gives grace, repeat. Paul understands that some of us might get so comfortable with the abundance of God's grace to sinners that we may think that we can continue to live a life of sin. And that's a question Paul wants us to answer. It's actually an important question for all of us. Does God essentially just save us from condemnation from sin and then leave us in the same relationship with sin that we've always had. Uh, in other words, I don't know if any of you saw the meme that was going around earlier this year of, you know, there's this sheep that's stuck in a ditch and it's fighting and the farmer's trying to get the sheep out of the ditch and finally manages to get the sheep out of the ditch. And by this point, the sheep is completely freaked out and goes running away. And what does the sheep do five feet later? falls right back in the ditch again. Is that a picture of the Christian life where God rescues us from sin, but we're still sort of left struggling on a daily basis, basically being unchanged, where God just keeps dispensing more grace and where we just keep on sinning and nothing really changes? Is that the reality of our lives? It's actually an important question to ask because it gets to the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. It actually informs what kind of life we can expect as believers, whether we just expect, uh, I don't know, if, you know those tin cans they used to put behind cars when somebody gets married and they're driving along and the cars are kind of banging along behind there. Is that a picture of the Christian life where we're just kind of being towed along by Jesus, banging on the road, like getting beat up all the time by sin and completely discouraged? Or does God actually change us? What actually happens when God gets a hold of our lives. 
Well, in verse 2, Paul answers this question. And Paul says, by no means. Depending on your translation, I think the King James says, God forbid. And so Paul, in the strongest language, says, friends, that is not a picture of the Christian life. When God gets a hold of you, it is not simply a matter of you're forgiven and you continue to sin, repeat. He goes on to say how we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? The key phrase there is we are those who have died to sin. Essentially what Paul is going to argue in verses 1 to 11, if you highlight your Bibles, I really encourage you to highlight that phrase died to sin. And what Paul is arguing is saying, if you are really a believer in Jesus Christ, you have fundamentally changed. You are not just a forgiven person, but your whole relationship with sin has fundamentally changed. And here's the heart of what has changed in your life. You have died to sin. You have died to sin. And some of you right now are wondering, I don't know about you, but it sure doesn't feel like I've died to sin. Man, it, it just feels like, Paul's going to get there, by the way, in, in Romans 7. I wish we could go there. We're not going to. But right now he's saying, listen, it doesn't always feel like it. In our lives, a lot of the time it feels like we're still bumbling along, struggling with the same sin. But Paul says, make no mistake about it. When God gets a hold of your life, fundamentally, you have died to sin. Your relationship with sin has changed. I don't know if you've ever experienced a guy and a girl who are dating and, uh, you know, they, they're going along and you can tell the relationship is struggling and then they, you know, they break up and then you're like, oh, that's, you know, the relationship's over and then next week they're back together again and then the next week they're broken up again and the next week they're, they're you know, at a back and forth. What Paul is saying here is, listen, when you came to Christ, you made a radical, you had a radical breakup with sin, and there's no getting back together again. You have fundamentally changed, and you're never getting back together to your old relationship with sin anymore. I once heard, uh, I think it was Rosaria Butterfield say, the thing about sin is it's a lot of fun. And she said, actually, if, if you're sinning and it's not fun, you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Sin is fun. It is enticing and it's inviting. But here's the thing about sin. It's fun for a second. It's, it's fun for just a moment. And then the aftertaste is so, so bitter. We sin because sin is so enticing to us. In Genesis 3, when Eve looks and, and sees sin, I love the, the description. It looks so enticing. It looks beautiful to the eyes and good to do, which is a pattern of sin ever since. It always looks enticing and beautiful. It always gives you that short burst of, of fun. And before we came to Christ, we were pretty much helpless against its power. It would look so good and we would find ourselves continually desiring sin. And a lot of times we didn't even fight it. We just wanted what sin offered. But when we come to Christ, here's what Paul says, our relationship with sin changes. 
I think, let me unpack this. For the believer, we are still tempted on a daily basis. Sin still looks enticing to us. In fact, we still sometimes sin. But here's the difference. Sin no longer looks enticing to us in the same way. We hate sin. In fact, sin becomes distasteful to us. That's what happens when we come to Christ. What Paul says here is if you've trusted Jesus and turned to him in repentance and faith, God fundamentally changes your relationship with sin so that you're still tempted, but you no longer want to sin like you used to. There's an internal battle going on. And when you sin, when you fall into sin, you hate your sin. You can't go back to how it used to be. Sin just isn't as attractive to you anymore. You're still tempted, but not like you used to be. And Paul goes on to say, actually, uh, it's almost as if you've broken up with sin, you still hear it, but it no longer controls you in the same way. I think Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used the illustration of a freed slave, uh, and the freed slave is like, you know you're free, you don't have to listen to your old master anymore. And so the, slave, the, the freed slave is going along, free, I'm free, I can do whatever I want. And in the town, he bumps into his old master, and the master's like, hey, would you go over to the store over there and, and pick up some of this stuff? And the, master, the slave begins to do it because he's so used to obeying the master. And somebody has to come along and say to the slave, you don't need to listen to him anymore. You're free. That's the relationship we have now with sin. Uh, we still, by habit, begin to listen to it, but we're free. We no longer have to listen to it anymore. And I love what C.S. Lewis wrote about this. He said, imagine yourself as a living Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought that you were going to be made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come to live in it himself. I guess what I'm saying here is, what Paul is saying here is, friends, what does Jesus do when he gets a hold of your life? He fundamentally changes you from the inside out. God doesn't just forgive you. He changes your heart. You begin to desire new things. You begin to love new things. You know, things that didn't used to interest you all of a sudden become the passion of your soul. When I said to stand yesterday, you're a church that loves God's word. That's really evidence of the change that God has made in your heart. Uh, I love the, the testimony this morning of the athletes at Guelph. You know what God does? He makes the word of God sweet to you where you look at the word of God and say, man, I love this. And you begin to look at the old sins that used to grab you, and part of you still feels the pull, but then part of you is like, I hate that. I don't want to go back to the way that I used to live. God really begins to change your heart. This morning, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, 
This is what God has done in your life. If you're there saying, this doesn't really ring true in me, it might be that you made a profession of faith. I would encourage you to talk to somebody to say, you know, if, if there's not this growing hatred of sin, I'm not saying you need to be perfect, but I'm saying there has to be a fundamental change in your relationship with sin. I would encourage you to talk to somebody to say, you know, would you just help me really? Because sin hasn't changed. It still looks as enticing to me. Don't leave without really considering whether God has changed your heart. I mentioned Jackie Hill Perry earlier. Is it kind of interesting? Because in the middle of the night, she had this encounter with God. And God changed her with nobody there. She didn't even want it. And the next day, she went to work. And in the process of working that day, she felt tempted to her, own, her old sin patterns. It was interesting because nobody had discipled her. And she was there, just a brand new baby Christian, hours new. And she was there facing a temptation she'd faced hundreds of times before. And every time before, she had given in. But in that moment, for the first time, she says something in her resisted the sin. She writes this, I'd been his child for less than 24 hours, and already he was changing me. Without even having words for the concept, she found that she was now dead, for, dead to sin. Friends, what does God do when he gets a hold of us? He changes us from the inside out. We become dead to sin. And as he says later on in the passage, he says, therefore, live like you're dead to sin. Okay, so verses 3 and 4, here's the picture he gives us. Verses 3 and 4, he says, let me actually give you, because we need visual representations of what this looks like. Verses 3 to 4. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And therefore, we were uh, buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I love visual aids. Uh, I love how God gives us these visual aids to help us comprehend uh, facts that we need to know. And here, what he says is, God has given us a visual aid to, so that we can picture what he does to us when we come to Christ. And the visual aid, one of them is baptism. The other visual aid is the Lord's Supper, and we practice it week after week after week, month after month. Let me just pause here to say, I don't think that baptism is only a visual aid. It is actually an outward working of the change that God makes inwardly. It is, I would argue, a means of grace. It's a step of obedience. It's the way that the Bible gives to following Jesus as we turn to him for life. And so as some churches uh, do an altar call to invite people to respond in faith to Jesus as an acted way of acting out the act of faith, the scripture gives us baptism as a way of responding to God's grace, of acting out our response to the grace that God has given us. As Stan Fowler says, it's a meeting place of grace and faith. It is a sacramental seal of the experience of our union with Christ. But part of what Paul says is, baptism gives us a picture of what's taking place when God gets a hold of our lives. And here's what happens when the person goes down, and we're going to see this in a few minutes, when the person goes under the water, we participate in the death of Jesus. 
Last week we celebrated Easter. Easter is not just a historic fact. It is a historic fact. But as believers come to Jesus Christ and are baptized, we are actually participating in Jesus' death. When he died, we died. Now, under the water, this morning we're going to see those who are baptized going under the water. And I always tell people when I baptize them, depending on how great a sinner they are, it's probably necessary to hold them down different lengths of time under the water. Because when we're under the water, and Romans 6 actually dwells on this quite a bit, our old selves are buried. God doesn't leave our old selves lying around. When you come to Christ, the old Jew dies. And not just dies, but God doesn't leave the corpse lying around. He gets rid of the corpse. The old Jew is gone. And so today for a minute, we just see it for a very brief second. The people who are baptized are going to be buried under the water. And just for a second, they're going to be there. And this is supposed to visualize for us as Jesus Christ was laid in the grave. He took all of our sins with him. And when he rose from the grave, he rose with new life. All our sins were dealt with finally and fully at the cross. When we're buried with Christ, our sins are gone. They're buried and they're gone. Our old nature is gone. And then when we're raised from the water, we're raised with Christ. As Colossians 2 says, we've been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, by which God raised him from the dead. Friends, the great news is today that God does not leave you to just bumble through the Christian life struggling. And don't get me wrong, there's going to be struggles, there's going to be temptations, there's going to be sins. But what God does when he gets a hold of your life is he fundamentally changes you so that your old self is gone and buried and the new life you live is alive to Christ. We spend the rest of our lives, it's a gradual process, it, it's, on one hand, instantaneous. At salvation, all of this is true. And yet, it's a gradual process of working out all the implications in our life. When God gets a hold of our lives, he changes everything. And baptism gives us a symbol of that change. Baptism reminds us that Jesus' story has become our story. That his death, burial, and resurrection is our own death, burial, and resurrection. Let me just end with three ways to respond. First, today. I really believe God has got his hand on some of you today. And it might be that you're here. Uh, some of you have trusted Christ. But it might be that some of you are here and for a long time now, you've sensed God working on your heart. And he's drawing you to come to him. And maybe you're a little bit like Jackie Hill Perry where you're not ready for the emotion. You don't even necessarily want God. And you're not even sure that God could handle your sins. Today, the invitation is, come. He will make you completely new. Come to him today with the empty hands of faith. He will transform you and make you completely new. Second application. Some of you here today who have trusted Christ, but have not yet been baptized. And I encourage you, speak to Pastor RJ, speak to Pastor Sam. Baptism is what the Bible gives us as the step to take as we follow Christ. If you've not yet been baptized as a believer, 
then please take this step as soon as possible. Final application. In a few minutes, we really get to celebrate. I am so excited. I don't even know the people who are going to be baptized, and I'm so excited. Today, we get the immense privilege of seeing what God has done in somebody's life. We're going to see people, and what we're going to see is a visual representation of what God has done inwardly. Friends, today, let us praise God, that God grabs a hold of our life, that God fundamentally changes us from the inside out, that God kills and buries our old selves, that he changes our relationship with sin, and he makes us new. Praise God for his incredible grace. Lord, thank you. I can't begin to express enough just how amazing your grace is. Lord, the fact that you would get a hold of sinners like us, and sometimes even with us kicking and screaming, that you would bring us to the cross. Lord, that you would take all of our sins away. Lord, that we bear not one of them anymore. That you would deal finally and completely with not just our guilt, but our shame. Not only that, Lord, but the fact that you would change us from the inside out. Not that you would just only forgive us, Lord, but that you would fundamentally change our relationship with sin. Thank you. And then, Lord, that you would give us these visual representations so that we could remember, that we could understand what you've done to us. My prayer is that you would help us to rejoice as we watch these baptisms. Thank you that when you get a hold of our lives, you change everything about us. And so I pray that we would rejoice in this change today in a few minutes as we watch the baptisms. We pray in Jesus' name.